Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. I wonder if you're picking up a theme this morning. Jesus. Jesus, the faithful one, no name like his. We had never say enough about Jesus, and I really trust you've been seeing Jesus in our reading that we've been doing together since the beginning of the year in the book of Genesis. Have you seen him in Melchizedek, who came to, uh, came to Abraham, and Abraham tithed to him? Have you seen Jesus in those visitors, the Lord who came to see Abraham? Jesus, Jesus in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. Of course, uh, in the gospel that we've been reading, we see all about Jesus. Come along with us. If you're not part of this, get on board. It's not too late. It's not going to be difficult for you to catch up. The reading plan is available every week right here, right here in our bulletin. So you can just read along with all of us. I have had great discussions with just walking through the halls here and hearing people talk about what they've been reading, whether it be one of the Psalms, whether it be in Genesis where we're at, whether it's in the Gospel of Mark. It's a wonderful way for us to keep a discussion about our faith in front of all of us. So I just encourage you, be a part. If you're not really a paper kind of person, you don't want to use the bulletin, you can go to our website, yourbcc.org. Just click that one-year button. And I do want to say for all of you who were early adopters, you jumped on this before the first of the year. When we first announced it, we have made a few changes on the web uh, presentation. So uh, I hope you see it's only there to enhance what you're doing and enhance your experience. Anyone can go out there, select any day, read. So you can go backward, forward, you can catch up. Really makes it easy. We also put an interactive uh, PDF file up there so you can download it. You can check the little boxes, keep your progress. Just keep it on your computer, your tablet. I've got it uh, on my tablet so I can just pop it up. I can click the link, check my progress. It's really nice very easy. So that's something you can use. You can also get the Bethesda app. If you don't have uh, the Bethesda app, you can just go to the app store, the Apple app store, search on your BCC, download it. If you have one, just update it. You'll be able to see the button on the bottom one year and follow along. So we have all kinds of options, not to mention if you want the full plan, we printed it out. There's uh, copies at our welcome desks. So you can pick it up on your way out. If you just want the whole year and you want to start keeping track and checking off, you can do that too. And the point is we want to all be together reading God's word, studying God's word. It's a great way to start up the year. And I hope you've been reminded this week as you've read through uh, some of the Psalms and y- you've taken notice. Psalm one, we had this Weak. Blessed is the man uh, who will meditate on God's word. He'll be like the tree, right? That's what we want. If we get the, the word of God in us, we'll be strong like trees. Let's keep that up and strengthen our faith. 
And we've been uh, reading about how faith started up in the Old Testament. Abraham, of course, he believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. And the story of Hagar just really, really uh, is one that's amazing and difficult to read. She had such difficulty. But there she was out in the wilderness. This was Monday's reading. There she was out in the wilderness alone. And God meets her and tells her, you're going to have, you are going to have a son. He's going to be a nation. Now he's going to be a donkey of a man and he's going to, you know, he's going to have trouble in his life. That's kind of a hard word to hear. She had a lot of hard things in her life, having to be a servant. And then she's given to her servant's husband. That's difficult. She's pregnant then she's kicked out, out into the wilderness. How hard would that be? God gives her this word. She hears from the, the, the angel that comes to her. Yeah, you're going to have a son. He's going to be a nation. But what did she say? God is the God who sees me. He sees me. And she listened and she was obedient and she turned around and she went back. What a reminder that was. God sees us doesn't matter what our trouble is, where we're at. God sees us. He sees everything. And in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark we've been going through, the start of Jesus' ministry, his 12 closest disciples, we, we read their names in Mark uh, chapter 3, and their faith starts out so strong. It starts out so strongly but then it seems to start to waver and sputter. They see Jesus do great things, but then in Mark 4, they're in a storm. And Jesus calms the storm. He says, why, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He starts to say to them, they had this faith. They dropped everything. Think about that. Ugh, guys are fishing. That's their life. He says, follow me. They drop it. Now, what kind of faith does that take? They got a great faith. They just walk away from their livelihoods. I'll follow this guy. And then suddenly they're saying things like, we're afraid. And he's asking them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They go on to witness some great miracles of Jesus. And then early in Mark chapter 6, it seems they're, they're emboldened again. Their faith is strong. And Jesus says, now you go out and you do the same thing that I've been doing. And you pray for people and cast out demons. And that's exactly what they did. We read that Jesus sent them out. And they were praying for people and people were being healed. They were casting demons out of people. And they preached the, the good news of Jesus where else could they go? Where else could they go in their faith but up? Then they're reunited with Jesus. And again, they're witnessing these tremendous miracles. Jesus feeds thousands of people from one lunch bucket. He walks on water. Then you read about this second episode. And Mark gives us a few details about this second episode of Jesus feeding thousands of people. Now, 
Consider that you watched Jesus walk on water, feed thousands from one little lunch bag, and now it's happening again. What would you imagine these disciples would be doing? Well, we would probably imagine they would be saying, all right, go, Jesus, go. All right, who's got a lunch bag? We can feed these 5,000. Hey, this guy over here has got two loaves, and this guy's got a fish. We got dinner for 5,000. But that isn't what we read in, in Mark 8, is it? No, what, what occurred? Now, this is, again, I, I remind you, it's the second time this is occurring. Their faith should be way up. They've been out healing people, casting out demons. They have watched these tremendous miracles. And what occurs? These disciples begin to talk amongst themselves. Hey, uh, hey, hey, uh, Matthew, uh, we don't have enough bread. I don't think we're going to be able, we've got to send these people away. John, what do you think? Yeah, let's get rid of them. They start talking about they don't have enough bread. And Jesus says, what? what are you talking about? Why are you talking about not having bread? And now he goes on to really kind of give it to them. Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but not see? These are some pretty harsh words coming from the rabbi, the teacher. Do you have ears? but you don't hear? And then he reminds them, hey, don't you remember the last time? What did we have at that last uh, gathering where there was thousands of people? We had five loaves. And how many did we feed? Oh, yeah, that's right, 5,000. Picture yourself there with Jesus saying these things. I don't really picture him coming across really so nicely. I kind of figure he's, he's, he's trying to give it to them a little bit to get their attention. And then he said, hey, how many baskets of leftovers did we pick up? He gets them to tell them, to, to tell him, 12 what, what do you think the implied uh, question is there? Hey, how many did we start with? We started with one little lunch bag. We had 12 baskets of leftovers. And then Jesus said to them, still, you don't understand. What had happened to their faith? What's going on? It's like this roller coaster ride of faith, right? Sometimes they are at the top and their hands are up and they're just screaming, right? Yes, we cast out a demon. Oh, yeah, we prayed for that guy. He's healed. The lame are walking. They are invincible. But then that thing starts to go down, right? Wow. And now they're like sheer terror. Oh, what is going on? You know, from invincible to hold on, I'm terrified. We're at the bottom. We're afraid. We got uncertainty. We got doubt. What about us? Do we ever feel that way? You ever feel like your faith is this, is this cedar point ride? You know, one second you're flying high and the next second you're terrified. There's the bottom. You're just abject terror. What am I going to hit down there? 
And like, God is gone. You know, we're burning in our hearts and we're fearless and we can take on any challenge that comes our way and we'll talk to anybody uh, anywhere. And then the next day, it seems like a crisis of faith, hesitation, doubt. They rule us. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. I have had those moments. And that seems to be the reality of the life of faith. And Jesus' disciples, they displayed it in this zigzagging, got the faith, don't have it. I'm with you. We're feeding thousands. Where are we going to get the bread? And they, they, they had him right there. And so I want to talk about that this morning, this idea of uh, this faith that goes up and down and it's here one day and then we're, we're like feeling alone the next day. Where is God? And in Mark 9, after, after this episode in Mark 8 where Jesus is saying, what is wrong with you guys? You're asking about bread again? No, in Mark 9, there is this there is this incident that really highlights this, this faith idea where your faith starts up, it's great, and then it stalls out. In Mark 9, Jesus' uh, disciples, right at the top of the chapter, there's this great scene. Peter, James, John, the three closest companions of Jesus. There's the inner circle of 12, and then there's the inner, inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And they go up on a mountain with Jesus at, at the open of Mark chapter 9. And Jesus becomes glorified right in front of their eyes. Yeah, he is dazzling white. What did Mark write? Mark wrote, he became transfigured. We heard a word about that this morning. He was transfigured right before their eyes into this glorified being. He was dazzling white. It says in Mark 9, there isn't bleach enough to, to make it that bright white. And then Elijah and Moses are standing there with Jesus and they're having a conversation and James and Peter and John, they are shaking in their shoes. They fall down. They don't know what to do. And then the word of the Lord, the word of God comes and he says, this is my son. Listen, listen to him. Listen to him. That's what they need to be doing. They need to be listening to him and letting that faith build up in them and, and keeping it. And so now after things come back to normal and Elijah and Moses are gone, they're coming down the mountain and Jesus is talking to them. And he says, well, uh, something about that's not going to, we're not, I don't want you to say a word about that until, until I'm raised from the dead. So they start talking. What is he talking about? I don't know what this thing is being raised from the dead. And they come down the foothills and they see a big crowd. And there's a big crowd of people. And there's the other disciples. And, and they're surrounded. And it says there's the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. And they're arguing. There is some kind of argument going. So from this great, wonderful moment of this transfiguration where these three have witnessed this glorious, glorious, tremendous uh, event with Jesus, now... There's this argument. So I want to read this and refresh 
refresh us because I know you've read it already. Mark 9, 16 to 29, after this incident of the transfiguration. Verse 16, what are you arguing about with them? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus says, bring the boy to me. But how did he start that verse? You unbelieving generation. Jesus isn't just talking to the crowd. His disciples are in that group. I wonder if they felt he was talking to them after the questions they had had about the bread and whether or not he could do things. You unbelieving generation, how long am I going to stay with you? Then verse 20, after he said, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. It's a very interesting interaction. Jesus talking to not only the crowd, but his disciples, he minces no words. You unbelieving generation, how long? How long am I going to have to put up with you? Then the father in despair says, he says, Jesus, Jesus, I brought my boy here. Your, your disciples can't, can't take care of it. And he said, if you can help, Jesus. Here's Jesus, mince no words with the, the crowd and his disciples. How did he treat the Father? Seems to come across pretty hard, too. If? If? Really? 
seriously, if, if you can, that's kind of a stinging reply to this man who's asking for help. What's Jesus seemingly saying to the guy? You don't really believe. You really don't believe. Well, what's with this, what's with this conditional statement? If. I can help, Jesus said. Everything is possible to those who believe. So then the man has a, a bit of a change, it seems, and he cries out, he exclaims, the way that Mark wrote it, he exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And there is this expression of what these disciples have been living. There is the roller coaster statement. It's a paradox. I believe. I don't believe. I believe. Help me. Help me. I don't believe. There is this acceptance, yet a denial. There, there is this affirmation, and yet there's doubt and misgiving. He makes this declaration, but then a prayer. Have you ever been there? I ask again, have you ever been there? I've been there. Moving forward, outwardly exuding great faith. You know, there's certainty and confidence. While inwardly, oh, doubt. Inwardly, questions. Questions. You know, fully confident. And then suddenly, alone. Feeling lost in the dark. And that's not unusual. If you've been there, it's not unusual. It is a reality in our life of faith. Some of the biggest names in God's word have struggled with this. They've had this paradox of, of faith. Moses, Moses, after seeing countless miracles, he saw all these plagues. God splits the Red Seas, throwing his staff down. It uh, turns into a snake eating snakes. I mean, this guy had tons of miracles. And then he's with this group of people and they're complaining, Oh, we want some meat because they've been eating manna for too long. Moses, after all of these miracles of God and these people complaining, he's, he just says, Lord, really? And these are the words in, in numbers. He says, kill me now. I mean, that's it. I'm done. I can't take this. Where I, they want meat. He says, where am I going to get all this meat? How can I do it? I mean, this is the God who split the Red Sea, turned the Nile River into blood. And, he's, and Moses says, how, how can I get meat for these people? Just kill me. Elijah. Elijah, huge name in the Bible. Elijah, he's at the height of victory. He's at the top of the roller coaster. He confronts about 950 false prophets. Takes care of all of them. There's been a drought for years. Elijah prays, the drought ends. Now you'd think you wouldn't, you wouldn't stay there at that, that height of that roller coaster. You'd now move up. You'd be going up. Man, you just took on all the false prophets in the nation. The drought is over. A queen, Queen Jezebel says, 
you know, gives him a little threat. You know, I'm upset with you and I'm coming after you, she in essence says. What did Elijah do? After taking on all of this, seeing great miracles and he had raised people from the dead, all this, he runs off to a cave and he just wants to die. He hoped to die. That's this huge, huge paradox. He's at the top, now he's at the bottom. That was one day too, one day. Job, Job who'd been so faithful and God had said, you know, said as much about him when he was tested. What did Job say when he was tested? Why didn't I die at birth? This, there it is once again. Powerful men of God showing great faith, yet, yet they have misgivings and doubt. And in many of our lifetimes, we've experienced the same. And we've seen examples of this too. Many of us can remember the little lady from Calcutta. Her name was Mother Teresa. Now, uh, she died back, I believe it was 1997. So I know not everyone in the room uh, remembers her life or was alive when she was alive, but many of us were. And she was a powerful little lady. In her story, she said God called her when she was 12 years old. 12 years old, she had this great, great faith. She said she was going to devote her life to her Lord. When she was 18, she left her home. She was uh, a native of Macedonia, and she left Macedonia to join a, uh, to join a convent in Ireland. It was called the Sisters of Loretto in Dublin. So she went there. Several years later, in 1931, uh, she was now uh, fledgling Catholic nun, and she was in India. And she's teaching the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. She was teaching in a school. She went on to become the principal of that school. 15 years later, in 1946, after she'd become the principal, and she'd been working hard, very hard, the bishop of the area said, hey, Sister Teresa, you need to take a break. You should take a little hiatus, go on a vacation. You need a break. So she got on a train, and she was traveling to a retreat in the foothills of the Himalayas. And she, she felt she heard directly from Jesus. She said she heard the voice of Jesus on the train, and his voice was inviting. And the voice that she heard that she said, this was Jesus, he said, come, come, uh, carry me into the holes of the poor. Come be my light. And this became her, her mission, come be my light. So she went to her retreat, and during that retreat, she felt Jesus talked to her more and confirmed this mission. And so it was the start. This was the start. In her own writing, she would write, this day in, uh, in 1946, when she was on the train, it was what began the missionaries of charity where she began to serve the poor and the blind and the lame and the lepers of Calcutta. 
And she said this was a call and a call. She'd already, she had already responded to the call of Jesus and she had become a nun. And now this was a second call to, to come into these holes of the poor, come be my light. And so she did it. And she kept that call for over 50 years, nearly to the day that she died. And the only reason she stopped was she just was getting too ill uh, as she uh, got older. But it was the same year that she stopped was the same year she passed away. So she went almost her entire life then serving those people in Calcutta from one person. This became a worldwide mission, a worldwide ministry. And, and, and that missionaries of charity began areas all over the world, over 126 uh, countries. One, one little lady birthed this great, great mission. What faith, what great faith could she have ever doubted? After she had passed away, uh, there were many letters that she had written to her superiors, some of the bishops and priests that were uh, above her in the hierarchy of the church, and she had confided in them time and time again. And not only did she reveal her affirmation of Christ, but often her struggles of faith. And I'll give you one example. She wrote, one, the one priest said he had a, a whole crate full of her letters. She wrote this in 1961. This was to a, a priest named uh, Joseph Nooner. She wrote, Father, since 1949 or 50, this terrible sense of loss, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me pain deep down in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God, and then it is that I feel he does not want me. He is not there. God does not want me. Sometimes I just hear my own heart cry out, my God and nothing else comes. It's amazing to read something like that when you see this life of devotion to ministry. This woman re remained faithful to her calling. She remained faithful to her Lord. But these letters express these times of inner turmoil and a struggle of faith from the champions of faith uh, from the Old Testament from Moses all the way through to a, a person like a Mother Teresa, there is that same questioning. And it's the same questioning of the ordinary man. It's the same question of that common man who was just the father of a child. And he had a desperate need for his child. His child was sick. And yet he expressed, I believe. Help my unbelief. We're like that. We are the same as those heroes of faith, and we are the same as that common man, accepting and questioning, affirming and doubting. You have a great day of faith, and then what is it? What, what, is it pain? Is it illness? Is it sickness? Is it some kind of trouble in your, in your life? Is it worldly troubles? Is it a financial disappointment? Or is it 
you're beset and you're tormented with a, a temptation to a, a sin that so easily besets you and, and you're filled with evil thoughts and you get that same, same question going, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? I'm calling out to you. It just seems like I'm blank. And you get closer to Jesus or you feel you're getting closer and things seem to go from bad to worse. And so the questions keep coming. Where are you? When Jesus came closer to that boy, what happened? The boy fell to the ground in a convulsion and he began to foam at the mouth. We can't fault the father, can we, for his doubts and his questions? Jesus comes closer. Things are going, going worse. Jesus, Jesus came even closer. And then what happened? He commanded the spirit. The boy gets violently shook again and there he's laying like a corpse. So much so that people are saying he's dead. The boy looked dead. Jesus came closer still. And he reached down and he took the boy by the hand and he lifted him up and the boy stood up. It might seem that you get closer to Jesus and things start going crazy. Don't be discouraged when you turn to Jesus and it just seems like life goes to hell. You know what? That's hell trying to hold on to you. That's hell trying to keep you down. When Jesus Christ is there and he's there to reach down to you and pick you up, and you got that holding you down. It's trying to pull you down. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger than hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail against him or his church. And he's there to pick you up. When you're at that place of, I believe, I don't believe, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not time to say, Lord, Lord, if you can. No, it's not time to say that. It's time to say, Lord, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You stand at that door and you don't know what's on the other side. You know, open that door and step out in faith. Lord, yes, you can. Not questioning, not hesitant, but expecting. Expect something when you go to Jesus Christ. Expect him to be there to reach his hand down and pick you up. Are you anxious about something? Are you stuck in some impossible situation? Is there an obstacle in front of you that has confronted you and stopped you in your tracks? Are you weary from life? All of it can sow these seeds of deep doubt, even while Jesus is right there next to you. And he's right there next to you to bring a word of comfort to you, a word of, of peace and of grace and of love. He's reaching out to you. Step forward in faith. Step forward in faith saying, Lord, yes, you can. And reach out to him and trust you know, that idea of reaching out to him in trust, it didn't fully sink in on those disciples, did it? Uh, he had said to them at the, at the incident of the bread, don't you understand yet? And still they came to him after this incident. When they found themselves alone with Jesus, they expressed their doubt. Jesus, what went wrong? What happened? Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? 
Now, Jesus had replied to them, that kind can only come out by prayer. And, and that ends the narrative. And it's an interesting point. What does he mean? That kind can only come out by prayer. Did Jesus pray before he cast out that demon? Doesn't seem so. We don't read him praying. The crowd was rushing toward him, and he just, hey, come on out of that boy. So what's he saying here? Is there a formula prayer? Is there some, is there some requisite exorcism prayer that needs to be prayed before that particular kind, kind of spirit? Is, is that what he is saying here? I don't think so. I don't think he's saying you need a formula I don't think he's saying you better you know, recite this prayer five times or something like that. I think what Jesus is saying here is uh, not that you have to have this spe specified formula prayer, but if you're going to move forward in the power of God, if you're going to continue to go onward and you're con continue to, to move up in, in your faith, you need to be seeking him. You need to be reaching out to him. Unless your life is marked by prayer, unless this reservoir of prayer is filled up, you're going to be spiritually parched. And when you encounter a great challenge, when you encounter something that is going to challenge your faith, whatever it might be, you're not going to be ready for it. And if you wait until, until that time and you're parched and you're dry, of course it's going to be difficult for you. And I believe Jesus is saying, you gotta, you got to be that person that's marked by prayer. you got to be this person that's, that's building this reservoir so that when you need it and when the day comes, it's there for you. And you are ready. And you're not doubting. You're saying, Lord, let's go. Yes, you can. Now, I know that's hard with all the distractions of life. We get distracted, we get pulled, we start to question. And it's difficult to continuously pray and to be in God's word. It's part of the reason we're trying to encourage being in God's word. If you need that word of peace, prayer, comfort, love, grace, you gotta be in his word and you gotta be a person of prayer. And I wanna challenge you to do it and be with us to pray and to seek God each day to be ready, to be ready to say, not if, Lord, yes, Lord. And you can take advantage of it right now. You, you, you dealing with anything, even questioning, because we, listen, there's nothing to be ashamed of if you're questioning. You're right up there with Moses and Elijah, even a mother Teresa. You know, it's okay. Come, come to the Lord and reach out to him and let him reach back to you. Take hold of him so that you can say, I got you. You've got me. Yes, you can. Yes, not if. Yes. I want to ask our elders to come to the altars and our ministers. And if you need that prayer today, prayer for whatever the case may be, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, step out. Step out. You come to these altars and you talk to an elder and they'll anoint you with oil. They'll pray the prayer of faith and they'll be with you saying, 
yes, Lord, yes, you can. Father, thank you for your holy presence with us this morning. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit here in this sanctuary. God, we ask and pray right now, you'd meet any and all who come to these altars. God, that you would meet them, that, that the prayers of faith would be effective, God, that we would pray expectantly, not with an if, but with a yes, looking to you and seeking you. God, do great, great works today. Bring testimonies of strong faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.